episode one of the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. This episode, we're going to discuss the nitrification, denitrification cycle in wastewater with a couple of guests. One of our guests today is John Souza, Utilities Manager for the City of Lemoore in California. He is also a grade T4 uh, water operator, grade three wastewater operator, and D3 distribution operator. And Diego Lopez is also from the city of Lemoore, and he's a grade two wastewater operator working towards his grade three exam. Go, Diego. (laughs) (laughs) We've had the opportunity to work together (laughs) for the last couple of years. And I, I appreciate you guys spending some time with me on this. Uh, podcast. And just for our listeners, you'll want to also stay tuned for our Wamba's Water Tidbit at the end of our program where we share fun and quirky trivia or information on water. Okay, guys. So nitrification, denitrification is what I personally call the great teeter-totter in wastewater treatment. I, I don't know about you, but every time I think about the nitrification cycle going into the denitrification cycle and starting all over again, I hear the Lion King song for the uh, circle of life. <laughs> yeah, that's indeed. <laughs> and that's I'm in not fact. singing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And really is because you're always trying to balance your whole system to get nitrogen removal. And nitrogen just happens to be one of the most abundant elements on earth. So why is it so important that the water industry spend millions of dollars a day to get it out of the water? Well, that's a good question there because a lot of people don't realize that most wastewater operators in some way, shape, or form, or environmentalists looking to take care of water downstream from their plants that most likely could be influent to a, a drinking water or a receiving water for recreational lake or, or habitats of aquatic life. So, as you know, ammonia is very harmful to aquatic life and can cause ser- a series of other things in drinking water, like blue baby syndrome. So, I would say it's it's very important and it is costly. If plants can strategically work together on that to find efficient ways to reduce ammonia, then it just helps the circle of life all together. <laughs> Love the Lion King reference. <laughs> the significant chance of algae growth creates toxins, both blue and green uh, algae blooms, which can lead to eutrophication, hypoxia, and a lot of just really nasty stuff. And it's really sad to see a very nice waterway go into eutrophication. And so we do our best and, and yes, spend a lot of energy trying to remove ammonia as much as possible. I love what you guys said about environmentalists' heart. I think that's why I love working in this industry so much is because it's with people that care about what goes out the door. You know, they want, not only do they want to hit the permits, but they actually care what happens downstream. And I, I think yes. that's a big thing. We really are stewards of not just the plant, but anything afterwards, definitely. Okay, so let's talk about those different types of nitrogens, ammonia, nitrate, nitrite, nitrogen gas, and organic nitrogen. So there's a whole slew of these guys. What do you actually test for, though? What are you looking for in your system? Yeah, we typically test for the three main types of nitrogen, which is inorganic nitrogen, organic nitrogen, inorganic in the form of ammonia, H3, as well as nitrate and O3 and nitrite and O2. And it's really important to have this information, of course, to ensure that nitrification is um, happening in your waterways. and. If you consider what we do, not our main focus obviously is to remove organic carbon, but um, obviously the higher and higher requirements of removing 
ammonia is becoming more and more prevalent in, in what we do when we think about recycling our water into, especially going into Title 22 tertiary uh, requirements. Also, you know, uh, on the permitting side, we would call it Waters of the U.S. And, you know, they are very, very strict on what goes in and out of the waters of the U.S. as much as they can. It just happens to be that, you know, wastewater operations and water operations, they can control and permit very easily. It's pretty much all the other sources of nitrogen fertilizers or wash down or any of that kind of stuff that there's no control over really. Sure. Sure. But it ends up coming to you guys and then you guys get to figure it out. So touch back on what Diego is saying. And if you're, you know, if you're a young operator and you're in California, you probably won't hear much about nitrification until you start reaching near the grade three level. And in, you know, in, in layman terms, it's, the, sol the solution to pollution is no longer dilution. It's actually accelerating what Mother Nature is already providing for us and how to provide the right environments for that. And to, to meet these standards of uh, ammonia removal to, to improve effluent and um, plant, uh, plant operator maintenance costs and, and the, you know, all the above, this the circle of life, right? So knowledge is power in this field. So the more you know, and it's it's not like a reinventing the wheel too. It's, you know, if operators can share the information that, that works for plants, um, hey, there's room for improvement everywhere. Yes, the um, biomimicry is everywhere. And to mimic what happens already in nature is essentially what we do as well at the plant. So we have to create the right conditions for these nitrifiers to do their job. And it's very nuanced as well. There's a lot of things to consider. I see it a lot like, you know, having a green thumb. You can see a plant and depending on what the plant looks like, whether it's lack of leaves or whether it's yellowed leaves drying out, you can kind of have this intuition as to what the plant is asking for, whether it's more sun, less sun, more water or less water. So that's kind of an oversimplification, but again, there's a lot of small things you can do, changes to ensure that we have enough DO, pH is also uh, in the right range uh, for our nitrifiers, temperatures and, and all the like. So there's, there's quite a bit you can do and test for, which is why we do those tests. Very important to have all the data, um, but also it does take a small amount of intuition to see what you can do uh, better and troubleshoot and, and solve. I always call that intuition the art of wastewater. Yes. Where you know it takes a lot of experience, a lot of skill, but you you, know, you get a point where you walk onto the plant and you're like, oh, it's going to be a bad day, or oh, it's going to be a great day. Mm -hmm. It's that t intuition that you're using now. But what really helps is to actually have some numbers in front of you. So when yes. you have your total Keldahl nitrogen, which is you know measuring the ammonia and organic nitrogen, mm -hmm. and you have excursions, what does that tell you? Like it's, it's great when it's zero going out the door, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, what, what are you guys going to do when it, you know, it jumps 10% or 15% or more? Yeah. You definitely have to look at things like your SRT. It's extremely important to, especially the autotrophic bacteria, um, take a little longer to grow and thrive, um, as opposed to the heterotroph and, uh, you know, doing things like increasing your SRT, um, there's, a uh, um, a huge danger in, you know, prematurely wasting away a lot of your autotrophic bacteria. So that's definitely something to look at. Yeah, there's a few key line things that you can do in, in your plant. Every plant's different. Like we run an aerated lagoon plant. I used to work in an activated sludge plant. 
two completely different animals and and how how to operate those but um mcrt srt uh settable solids uh waste rates all these things play a huge role on your nitrifying bacteria it's on a on our area lagoon we have a limit limited control of what we can what we can do but with with taking these things into consideration you know most pond plant guys they had no idea they just checked ph temperature do and that's it you know but when taking some things into consideration increasing your detention time putting those do's in a in a a a higher range it makes a big difference for for removing ammonia so yeah i can't i haven't been able to prove it but i believe and i'm i'm pretty certain that there's a in our lagoon it's a facultative lagoon so we definitely have an anaerobic layer a sludge layer and a very aerobic layer and i think there's a sort of simultaneous nitrification denitrification going on in, in our ponds and the best way to check is to test for ammonia as nitrogen in our influent and the ammonia um, as nitrogen or effluent and see how much it's being reduced and, and how naturally the pond, our ponds are yeah, oxidizing that ammonia. You know, it's, it's so funny because I went to a WEFTEC uh, presentation that was talking about simultaneous nitrification, denitrification, and actually creating strata within an activated sludge basin. And you know, they're, they're talking about all the things you have to control and things like that. And I sat there, I'm like, that's just a lagoon. <laughs> it's like it, yeah. it's high tech for your know, aeration basins but it's what lagoons do day in and day out <laughs> they have aerated and uh you know anaerobic layers that pretty much do it for you when i started looking into what wastewater treatment was in general there was um an example of a small you know native tribe maybe i don't know just a few hundred people and how they use just rivers and lakes to wash down and to, you know, use essentially water the way we do now and Mm -hmm. how those waterways, it was probably helpful, uh, very helpful for them. But obviously, as the population grows, we're still trying to, again, biomimic what happens naturally in the wastewater system. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So let's just break it down a little bit, uh, because I think nitrification, denitrification, like we mentioned, has some competing needs. Mm-hmm. What are you primarily looking for to, to have nitrification actually occur? Uh, it's a two-step process, right? We go um, from the ammonium, uh, the ammonia that's in the water, which um, will eventually, and this is again an oversimplification, turn to nitrate uh, through those nitrifiers. The easiest form that somebody who's learning about this can think about it, it's a lot more, again, complicated nuance, but uh, from ammonium uh, to nitrite and then to nitrate. Uh, but we can expand on that, obviously, more. Well, you know, I, I was talking to my kids about nitrification at the dinner table because I work in wastewater and my kids get those kind of conversations. Bless them. Um, you know, I'm talking about the, the nitrobacter and they're basically excreting nitrates and nitrites under very specific conditions. And then the nitri- denitrifiers consume those nitrates and nitrites. And my son's like, wait a minute, they eat their poop? I'm like, uh... <laughs> and this is about the time where my mom, who's been visiting us, kind of gives me a look at the dinner table. I'm like, well, but yeah, I mean, we're trying to get to nitrates and nitrites. We're trying to oxidize that ammonia, which is just a fancy way of saying we're ripping off hydrogens to stick oxygens on. It's, like you say, a very normal biological process. But once we stop taking it out of nature, we have to start providing 
the amounts of oxygen they want, like you know, 1.5 parts of oxygen to ammonia. You know, like you mentioned earlier, the pH has to be just right, 6.5 to 8. And DOs. All right, Diego, what dissolved oxygen level you're trying to get to? You want to get to at least, uh, or more than two, two milligrams per liter Ooh. of DO. And it's oxidizing ammonia is very oxygen hungry process. To remove a pound of VOD, you need uh, 1.2 pounds of DO. And to remove a pound of ammonia, you need about 4.6 pounds of DO. So it's very oxygen hungry process. And there is a danger of even over oxidizing or uh, providing too much DO because it takes a lot of electrical energy to force this oxygen into the water. Yeah, John, what do you have to say about that? Speaking for Lamore on the pond plants, um, you know, some ponds do provide some of the best treatment, but cities and municipalities and counties and don't really have the space for it. You know, there's 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 an old saying, of, you know, buy property when you can, because I heard they ain't making it anymore. And, you know, <laughs> living where we live, it's it's flat, it's open. We got a lot of space to do so. But, you know, um, certain larger cities don't have that luxury. So they started looking at other ways of doing things and you know, trickling filters and oxidization ditches and um, conventional activated sludge and, you know, and how to optimize those and taking the count was aeration. So it's. You know, you don't just flip the switch, turn on the aerators and just, you know, it's going to take care of itself. You know, you actually got to start dialing things in. You can mess up a plant in, in three to five days and it'll bring you two to three weeks to bring it back. Or longer. It affects a lot of things like sludge. You know, you hear the term sludge bulking in your clarifiers. Those those affect things. You know, your aeration, your, uh, your MCRTs and um, the things you need to do to remove ammonia and create nitrifying bacteria, it'll affect all those things downstream. And I think this is where engineers and operators really need to communicate on what their needs are, what's their, what's their influent precursors and the nature of the influent wastewater coming in on what the needs they need for the size of a plant. It's like bigger is not always better. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I've talked to several people where that before the recession hit, they just put in a new plant, and this was back in the 2000s, and now they've got this oversized plant. No one moved into the area, and it's two times bigger than what they need now. So they struggle, like you said, you know, to have enough water and have enough nitrifiers to even do the job. And never mind that, you know, nitrifiers are divas as it is. I mean, <laughs> they only like things a certain way. I always think of, you know, the the person with their, you know, their latte, it wasn't hot enough, it wasn't cold enough, didn't have enough cream, whatever. That's your nitrifier. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, you know, we can't fire them. You know, we need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you lose your nitrifiers, you lose the whole rest of the chain reaction. You're, you're not going to have denitrifiers because they rely on nitrifiers for those nitrates and nitrites to consume. Yeah, they're, they're tricky. I think they really are tricky. Well, how about denitrification? Well, I was just going to amplify uh, John's point about how operators and engineers, you know, the communication, the importance of the communication, and almost like operators make the best engineers because there's a, you know, since uh, there is a lot of variation and there's a constant amount of vigilant testing and again using your intuition to troubleshoot and solve, operators see a lot of sort of missed opportunities in the engineering part of plants. 
or or maybe see the bad engineering. Well, that was misengineered or miscalculated. What? So, what? Uh, is is what? it possible? <laughs> but no, as speaking as there's, this is uh, as friendly as I can be because I love engineers. However, we see a lot of, of missed opportunities in our plants. You know, and I I think it's it also stems from just speaking from an engineer point of view. You know, to us, it's it's math, it's numbers, flows. Uh, retention times and things like that. So the nitrifiers aren't in our mind specifically. We're oh. thinking of, okay, I need DO. That means I have to size this aeration system to meet this, this, this. Uh, the water's going to be this de- deep, et cetera. And when I was, when I did some design work, we we literally never talked about the microbes, which is what the whole system is based on. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 like you said, you know, those two different perspectives, I think it would be great for new engineers coming out to just actually have to go into water systems and wastewater systems and spend a week or two in the field learning it as opposed to, you know, just, all right, here's this calculation, figure it out and do it. Yeah. If you imagine like a chart, a line chart in terms of all of the sort of technical upgrades and and the like, the curve going upward. Um, however, some operators are still operating maybe technology or understanding of that may be just slight antiquated. So there there is a gap between what engineers are learning and how they're thinking about building plants for the future and how operators are still kind of operating with old uh, information. So there's, there's mm-hmm. a, a gap that needs to be bridged for sure, between those two, those two lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been to over 300 facilities. I don't think I've gone to one once that hasn't made some comment on design. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, some of these systems too are from the 1970s yeah. or 80s. And you know, we're working with 40 and 50 year old technology. And so to even to get something to nitrify and then get something to denitrify, it's kind of a miracle every day. It sometimes it's stacked against the operator. I think. Tell me a little more about denitrification, John. Denitrifiers—they're—they're very—they're helpful, but they're not only to remove the oxygen bound in the nitrogen nitrates and nitrates and nitrites is releasing the nitrogen as a gas. So it's once you start getting into it, you're like, what? What's going on here? First off, you're telling me about nitrosomus, nitrobacter, nitrates, nitrites, and now they're, you're telling me it's reversing, the process is reversing, and it is. And if you can get it to do that, um, if your permit requires lo- these lower limitations, then it's it's outstanding. If, and if, if you get it to do that and then your permit doesn't, you know, it's just an added plus. You're just producing a higher quality effluent. So it just depends on what your plant needs are. For, for us, you know, like Diego says, we believe that we're reaching that. Um, simultaneously, which is pretty cool. Nature is just once you get in this field and you got a passion for it, it's awesome. That's when you start hearing awesome. the sound. The sound. If you're not hearing the sound yet, maybe maybe you're just not quite there. But that the uh, the Lion King starts playing, huh, Heather? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out at, what you can yeah. hold up over the yeah, hold up with yeah, your hands. Just, <laughs> you know, if there's operating trainings out there, you know. It's, like learning a foreign language at first and we all had to start there one way shape or form and and if you're you've been in the industry for a long time you know um just depends uh you 
just be be optimistic. Don't think you're gonna know it all because you're not. There's there's people oh. are discovering more research every day, and uh, it's it's we need you need to be the ones to to train our younger operators and carry on the torch because the the silver tsunami is coming and the new breed of operators are coming in. So let's uh let's not tell them it's all about snake oil and. And fantasy land, it's you know, this is <laughs> rainbows this and is, unicorns, rainbows yeah. and unicorns, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Diego. Gonna, uh, sure. So, um, nitrate is uh, can be extremely harmful as well. Also, it could eat up a lot of your chlorine down the line as well. So, denitrification is such an integral part, and it's almost the reverse of nitrifying. However, um, this is where uh, we remove DO. Uh, we want to get no deal as opposed to, you know, using up all this energy to to introduce the uh, DO um, in order to nitrify, denitrifying. When you remove DO, those nitrates or those, I'm sorry, those um, essentially bugs, the, the, the heterotrophs or the autotrophs at this point that are, it's the heterotrophs actually, that will use up the oxygen and the nitrate. And they, in order for them to survive, they'll use that up and uh, miraculously and very smartly turn that into nitrogen gas, which then just goes into the atmosphere and we complete that cycle and, and have hopefully healthy, uh, good quality water coming out. The thing that what I've seen though, is like by the time you get to, so you've gone through your system, especially for activated sludge, not so much for lagoons, but you've you know, had the BOD consumed up front, you need BOD low for nitrification, and then you come into denitrification, and they're starved. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like all the food—they're tardy to the party, and there's no food left. You know, maybe a couple chips and a weird hot dog off to the side from the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been to that barbecue. You're like, dang. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you two are great. I feel like I'm listening to your guys's. Uh, own podcast channel and this is pretty great being able to be a part of it so <laughs> <laughs> sorry john why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit that carbon edition <laughs> <laughs> no you guys pretty much hit the, hit the head on the nail there so that's cool well you, you talked about the uh chlorine and and usage but how is that useful as a uh troubleshooting we have gas chlorine at our uh wastewater treatment plant um most plants use sodium hypochlorite. I know we're the city on, on our water treatment plant, we're paying like a dollar fifty one a gallon for mini bulk, but I think some bulk deliveries get around I don't know, seventy cents a gallon, eighty cents a gallon. So just saying saying that out loud is just like, okay, it's cost for disinfection. If you're using UV, it probably doesn't affect you as as much, but as you know, Ammonia is a big contributor to chlorine uh, demand. And if you can remove ammonia, you can run more efficiently on chlorine and, and have a, a smoother disinfection process. So that's just another reason to pay attention to the nitrifying cycle, right? So um, in some cases, you know, it creates chloramines um, and that's oh, yeah. okay too. That's okay too, you know. You get a it's a weaker um disinfectant, but it's longer lasting even in a, a wastewater effluent. But uh, you know, I think when you start to go um uh, reverse that process and you have to remove that chlorine before you re go to a um a receiving water, 
it just the less chlorine added is going to be better you know just everything you do downstream is just gonna it just compounds right so and i have so in case in case your your system is doing really well and you have very little bod uh which is required you we need carbon when we denitrify what kind of additives are there um i've heard of like ethanol that you mm-hmm. can add as a as a carbon source is there any other things you can add or even do in case you're not denitrifying in case you have a significant amount of nitrate uh, remaining in your system john what have you used in the past so we're using the probiotic solutions uh, bioenergizer and that's been providing a carbon chain molecules to our, our microorganisms and they have thrived significantly you know coming into this plant from seeing it not being added to watching it being added over a year's time and watch, you know, hands-on pulling sludge judges out and seeing this uh, real viscous, hard sludge in the, in our ponds too. That's almost like a clay-like substance. It's hard. It's, and then coming into it later on and watching it and actually seeing like flock out there and looking like an aeration basin and, you know, just... The sludge quality just had changed drastically over a year. It was real, real impressive. That for me is I'm a hands-on guy. I like to see it work and it is definitely a huge benefit for us. Not only for our sludge, but uh, chemically as well, providing those carbon molecules downstream. Hey, thanks for the shout out. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard of a lot of carbons being used. A lot of times when a system is BOD starved, like due to low flow or something like that, uh, or a temporary shutdown, I've heard of like dog food being used, uh, just people, you know, putting bags of dog food in. Um, And the the worst one, though, was rabbit, rabbit feed, because it was all grasses. That one Mm -hmm. didn't work so well. Um, But people are getting more sophisticated. So there is things like ethanol. and methanol, yeah. um, some use molasses, uh, you know, other, others use like you know, the carbon products that we sell or, you know, other competitors sell. And, you know, it makes a difference what you use because if you're putting in something that isn't readily available for those denitrifiers, like, you know, if you're putting dog food in that part, you're going to get a lot of fat soils on grease on mm-hmm. top of carbon. And that can really mess up your system as well. I had one paper customer that just used plain old sugar, just poured bags of sugar in. Mm. Yeah. I was like, all right, sucrose. It'll dissolve really easily. Yeah. (laughs) I I know like starting off the, um, my wastewater career was actually in the septic hauling business. And, you know, we'd, we'd hear stories from customers, you know, there was the big controversy on, should I add Riddix to my tank to improve my improve my sludge and things like that it's going to eat it up for we had some customers tell me yeah i like i grind up a steak every once in a while and throw it down there and let them you know eat on that and it's just it seems like a, <laughs> like a piranha or something <laughs> no like serious he's like yeah that's what i that's what i do and it was really really shocking to hear it's just like <laughs> you know just they're gonna everything everybody's different every town's different if your indu- whatever your industrial users are, you know. So call oh, yeah. call Heather Jennings and she'll help you with the solution. 
<laughs> I heard of a, I heard right, of a brewery. Right. <laughs> I heard of a brewery um, using uh, or something in the. This is maybe a tangent, but something in uh, their waste would, if you dose it correctly, really, really helped out in the in the denitrification process um, using some kind of byproduct of whatever comes out of that beer. <laughs> These heterotrophs were just loving it. Yeah, well, the uh, you got the sugars and everything I'm coming out of that heterotroph. There you go. They're drinking on the job. <laughs> a good IPA for the for the heterotroph. You know. There you go. That works. <laughs> that cracks me up just because I do have a couple customers that are adult beverages, <laughs> and I never thought of them being drunk. <laughs> so you're opening my mind there, Diego. Was <laughs> there anything else you guys wanted to share about nitrification, denitrification, or any encouragement for those operators out there? It really helps me to to find a correlation. It, it's it's something that happens in water that you don't see. Even just the the uh, ammonia, how it you know the equilibrium between ammonia to ammonium, it just it just kind of happens once you. So there's a lot of things that are sort of abstract. And what really helped me is to find some kind of correlation uh, in life that you can see where to be able to explain how this happens you know the way i use it uh, an example like like how a digester is very similar to uh, a stomach you can you once you know how a stomach works um even having uh that digester be at about 98 degrees and above similar to what your stomach uh, temperature is then you can kind of understand what's happening inside the digester without being in there so there's a sort of uh, it's almost like a transducer there's ammonia like a, a speaker changing the air pressure the speaker moves it changes the air pressure and it it goes from an electronic source to to changes in an air air pressure and your ear does the same thing so there's a transition between ammonia to nitrate then um, to nitrite then to nitrogen so the speaker moves changes the air pressure Ear pressure then changes in your eardrum, and that's changed. So that's how I was able to kind of understand something that you can't see. So that that helps me understand better by by finding that correlation in life. Be optimistic. There's always room for improvement. Seek out some videos on YouTube about nitrification as a good starter spot. They're free. They're available. Look for an advanced activated sludge class. You know, ask questions if you're at a plant that has their own lab chemist or things like that to, to understand the microbiology a little more. And if you are in that situation and you know everything about it, ask operators, you know, why this, why that? You know, the questions, knowledge is power. Just keep learning. It's not trying to like pass up the other guy. It's all about working as a team and sharing the information. And uh, maybe one day, too, you'll hear that song in the circle of life, you know, and just keep going. Right. <laughs> just keep smiling. Yeah, I, I have to say that's another thing that I love about the industry is that it's, you know, we're all in this together. It's not a competitive thing. I mean, you know, everyone brags about how clean the water is or whatever. But, you know, if you're stuck calling the city or two over and getting their opinions, that's always available. And I think that's that's really cool. Plant tours, you know, anytime I'm Plant on vacation, yeah. I like I'm in a, I'm in a different town. I'm looking, where's the wastewater plant at? Where's the water plant at? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. Cause I want, I love going on plant tours and seeing different things and just yeah. 
you know, any little things you can bring back and it's, it's, it can be helpful. So. Yeah. Encourage you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And passing exams, you know, they're good too. You know, if you're, if you're book smart, (laughs) you can pass a test. If you're not so book smart, you know, it's a little struggle, but the things that come with those grades too, or that people tend to forget is experience. You need experience with those. It's, it's in place for a reason is, you know, it's not about bragging rights. I'm a grade three, I'm a grade five. You know, it's, it's, those are levels of responsibility and it's experience gained during that time too. It's not all about, I passed a test and I got the cert, you know, but it's, it's a part of the system. You know, you got to have that piece of paper to work in this job. And so yeah, don't get too comfortable. Get too comfortable. Okay. Well, with, with that, we're going to go on to the Wanda's water tidbit. So my mom, Wanda sends me these articles she finds on water and trivia and always asks for my opinion on it. So I thought I'd dedicate this section to her. And I don't know if you guys uh, saw this, but in Poland, they are using clams to indicate drinking water purity. Huh? And uh, yeah, I Poland? saw it in several different. It's crazy. I found it in several really? different articles and I finally found the the Polish version of it. And had Google translate it for me, and we'll include that uh, link with our the podcast. But yeah, they're really using clams, like so freshwater clams? clams. Yeah, freshwater clams they've harvested. They uh, they bring them in. They attach with uh, like a hot glue on top of the the clam head a spring that extends out and has a button on the end. Mm. And there's a, a a post so that when the clams closes, that button will drop down and connect to that post and send a mm-hmm. signal. And what they rely on is if the clam is open, then it's filtering and filtration and it, uh, the water is pretty pure to drink. But if the clam shuts, that button is hit or connects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sends a signal saying, oh, I closed and it's typically due to pollutants. And they have eight of them there. So, wow. yeah. So it's like and a little, it, it cr- actually, it's like a, it's like a little clam micro switch, huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and you got to look at the pictures because like the, the spring hanging out, it just, it makes me laugh so hard. But the thing is though, is that if three or more uh, mm-hmm. clams shut, then mm-hmm. it shuts off the water source. And the operators go in and check to see what contamination is coming in. Uh, they're, they're receiving their water from, I'm trying to find the name of it, from a local river that has been known to have pollutants in it. Mm. So, and so they thought these, the best way to do it was with the, the clams. Are yeah, these clams care. getting hazard pay, you know, working in those sports? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know? they, they only have to work for three months of their lives. So, in this. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they mark them. Said, and, that's why they call it happy as a clam. Yes, happy as a clam. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're wide open and they're filtering. Well, I think they should oh. uh, sh- sh- shell out some prevailing wage for these clams. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, this is going bad really fast. <laughs> but this water supply is to Warsaw. So, you know, you guys, 
if you've got, you know, you've got a water system coming in, John, I mean, you know, why don't you grab a couple of clams, try it out. Let's see how it works. I, I like clam chowder too. So, so there you go. <laughs> that works out. Win for everyone. Win, win. Oh, we got an abundance, an abundance of dad jokes coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. So we're going to cut this off here. And, uh, <laughs> We thank you That's for joining amazing. us for our first podcast. Uh, I hope you'll join us for our next one. We're going to work on or discuss enhanced biological phosphorus removal. We'll have a special guest for that. Uh, if you have any questions on the topic or whatever, just shoot us an email. And uh, if I don't know, I'll make sure we bother John and Diego about it. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me. No, you guys are awesome. Thank you. We'll talk with you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad-spectrum line of biostimulant and nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. Find more information at probiotic.com. 